0: Y'all, if you asked me, what was the most famous parable that Jesus ever told? I'd probably tell you that it was the parable of the prodigal son. And the reason I'd say that is because I truly identify with that wayward kid. You remember the story. A younger son demands all of his inheritance from his dad and then he goes to a faraway country. He wastes every penny, finds out, finds himself in a pig pen, comes to his senses, and then he goes back home finding his father waiting for him with open arms. Literature calls that parable The world's most perfect short story. And I think why it's so perfect is because almost every family can identify with that in some form or fashion. But if you asked me, what was the most tender parable that Jesus ever told? I'd probably have to say the parable of the lost sheep. You remember that story. The shepherd went looking for a sheep that had gone astray. He has to go through the the thickets and climb jagged rocks. And he searches and he searches until finally he finds the sheep that went astray. Again, I can identify with that wayward sheep. But if you asked me... Of all the parables that Jesus told, what parable is the most practical? What parable applies more to how we live today? How God acts and reacts to us and how we act and react to God? I think it would have to be the parable that we find in Matthew chapter 25. The parable of the talents. I think many of us have heard that parable in some form or fashion. But I want to condense it down to just a few sentences for you. Jesus says that a master is getting ready to go to a faraway country. And he calls in his servants and he distributes his wealth to them. And then the master leaves, and then the master comes back. And when he comes back, he calls for an accounting of how they've used the wealth that he gave them. Those who had invested wisely, the master rewarded. But that one that did not invest what his master had given him was actually condemned. And that's the gist of this parable. As I said, it's very practical. It's very real uh, to our lives today. It's relevant because it shows how God treats us. How God reacts to us. But it also shows how we as God's people sometimes misuse the blessings of God. Last week... We saw firsthand what happens when people misuse what's been entrusted to them. When people had deposited money into the Silicon Valley Bank, the people there at the bank then invested that money into what turned out to be high-risk bonds. And then when the depositors started withdrawing their money the bank actually collapsed and had to close. Billions and billions of dollars that had been entrusted to that bank was lost. And of course, you know who gets to foot that bill. Amen? The taxpayer, me and you. But anyway, the first thing that we learn about this parable that relates to our own lives is this. God entrusts his wealth to his servants. God entrusts his wealth to his servants. In Matthew 25, I'm going to begin in verse 14. The Bible says, Jesus says, all of this is in red or yellow, depending on whose Bible it is. Amen. Verse 14 says, for the kingdom of heaven is like Friends, anytime you hear the Son of God, Jesus, telling you that the kingdom of heaven is like, your ears need to perk up and you need to listen up. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a faraway country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, To each according to his own ability. And immediately the master went on to his journey. Then he who had received the five talents. Went and traded with them. And made another five talents. And likewise the one who had received two talents. Invested and gained two more talents. But he who had received just one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So scene one opens up this way. The master calls in his servants and he says, I'm going to entrust you with my wealth. So he gives five talents to one, two talents to a second, and one talent to a third servant. Now, time... Talents, treasures, money, abilities, gifts, all of those things can be synonymous for the same thing. Because they all come from God and they're given to his servants. So the master distributes his wealth to these servants and says, while I'm gone, I want you to be good stewards Of what I'm giving you. He's the master. They are the servants. He owns everything. They own nothing. They are entirely dependent upon the master. And so the master calls them in and he says, I've been watching you, I've been studying you, and I've concluded. That you are trustworthy stewards. Now I don't know how many servants this master had. May have been dozens for all we know. But out of all this master's servants. He selected these three. And he said to these three servants. I'm getting ready to go away. And I'm entrusting you with my wealth. You take care of it now. And then that's basically the end of the first scene. Now instantly we see similarities to our own Christian lives, don't we? Instantly we realize that Jesus is talking about this master being God. The master is God who owns everything. He he is God who is the giver of life. He is the God who gives you air to breathe. He is the God who gives you a healthy body to see, to think, to plan, and to make wise decisions. We, on the other hand, are His servants. We are His servants every day. We depend on Him. We, His servants, depend upon the Master. We are the servants and God distributes his wealth among us. And listen, God is always studying you. God is always looking at you. He is always wanting to see if you are being a faithful servant. And when you're faithful with what God has given you, the promise of God is is that he'll give you more. Not for your own benefit, but for his glory. When you're wise with what you've been given, you get more because you've been wise. He is constantly examining us to see if we're being faithful with what God has given us. But this is interesting. The master didn't give the servants the same amount. To one he gave five. To the other, he gave two. And the third one, he gave just one. Now, on the surface, that don't sound very fair to me. On the surface, it doesn't sound, to use a modern word, it doesn't sound very equitable, does it? But then we realize, uh uh-huh, this master must know his servants really well. He must know his servants and the master gives to the servants, as verse 15 says, according to their own ability. Had he only given one talent to the five-talent man, well, that wouldn't have been a very good use of the five-talent man's abilities. Had he given five talents to the one-talent man, well, that one-talent man couldn't handle it. And so we see that the master knew his servants and he gives to each one what he knew that that servant can handle. And then the master goes on his journey. You see, that's exactly the way God works, isn't it? God gives to us and he doesn't coerce us. God doesn't. Constantly look over our shoulder to see if we're using what he has given us. He doesn't hound us to try to put pressure on us to do what is wise. While God does open doors of opportunity, God gives. And then he leaves the gift in our hand. And he calls us to be good stewards with what he Has given us. And then God waits for us. He waits for us to use what He has given to see if we will be faithful. So that's the end of scene one. And scene two, God wants you to know this today God will call His servants to give an account. God will call his servants to give an account of what you have been given. The master then comes back. And the five talent man comes in and says, Look master, I've taken the five talents you gave me. I made five more. Now I have ten. Well done, my good and faithful servant, the master says. You've been faithful with a few things. I want to give you many. And then the two-talent man comes in. And the two-talent man says, look, master, I've taken those two talents you gave me. I invested them, and now I have four. Well done, my good and faithful servant, the master said. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I'm going to make you ruler over many. And then the one talent man comes in and he says, Lord, I knew you to be a harsh master, reaping what you did not sow. And so I wrapped up your talent and I buried it in my backyard. Here it is. No scratches. No mildew. I've even cleaned it up a little bit for you. Here it is. Exactly the way you gave it to me. And the master called him a wicked and lazy servant. In fact, in verse 30, goes so far to even say that he was unprofitable. Meaning that he was worthless. A worthless servant. And he threw him into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words. There was unending regret. Boy that's a tough parable right there. Amen. That's tough to handle. But that's straight from the words of Jesus. And I think the reason why it's so tough. The reason why it bothers us so much. Is because most of us can identify with this one-talent man far more than we can this five-talent man or this two-talent man. This one-talent man was just an ordinary guy, just like most of us. Now, he did something that wasn't all that smart, but he didn't steal it. He didn't embezzle from the master. He just didn't invest it. He didn't use what the master had given him. And when the master came back, that one talent man returned that talent to the master the same way he received it. So the question begs to be asked. What was this one talent man's biggest problem? What was his deal? What was his problem? Let's focus on this one talent man for a second. Why did he do what he did? Well, number one, you got to wonder if that one talent man kind of felt inferior. I mean, when you're rubbing shoulders with five-talent people and two-talent people and you see them rubbing shoulders with other five-talent people and two-talent people, then you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, at best, I'm a one-talent person. It's easy to begin feeling a little inferior. When you see people doing things better with a whole lot less effort, While you're just struggling to survive in the world. Boy it's easy to identify. With this one talent man. Can I be honest with you for a second? Somebody say amen. I often feel like a one talent pastor. A lot of times like a three quarter talent pastor. I feel inferior sometimes. Why? Because there ain't nothing special about me. And I think often we feel the same way. There ain't nothing special about me. That's what the one talent man said. He didn't stand out in the crowd. He was just an average Joe. Just like many of us. So I think maybe he felt a little inferior. Maybe at best he felt a little mediocre, a little substandard. Maybe he even felt a little second rate sometimes. You ever felt like you were a second rate Christian? I have. But secondly, Jesus actually tells us that this man was also afraid. In verse 25, he says, speaking of the one talent man, and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. He was afraid because he considered his master to be a harsh master. This servant considered his master to be harsh. But what that really proves is this. He didn't really know his master. He didn't know his master. You see, God does have expectations for us. There's no question. But your God, my God. Is not a harsh God. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace and patience, goodness and kindness, faithfulness, and here it comes gentleness. That's actually an identifier of God being gentle. Well, our God is gentle. He is understanding. He knows your, your state. He knows that you're only flesh. He forgives and he is merciful. So this man didn't really understand his master at all. He was afraid. And he took his talent. And he went and buried it in the ground. So let me ask you a hypothetical question. What if. Just what if, what if that five-talent man took all of his five talents and buried them in the ground? Well, you know the answer. The master would have taken away those five talents and he would have been called a wicked and lazy servant. Just like that one talent man was. But what if that one talent man, that mediocre, substandard, inferior, one talent man, what if he took his one talent and he invested it into the kingdom of God? What would have happened then? Well, you know the answer to that question, too. The master would have come and come back and given him more talents. And he would have called that one talent man a good and faithful servant. Let me ask you one more hypothetical question. What if that one talent man had taken his talent, taken his talent, he invested it, but then he lost it. The investment failed. And he lost it. What would happen then? Notice that idea is not even suggested. Why? Because God's word never commands you to be successful. God commands you to give it your all. All your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He desires and calls you to give it a good go. To give it a good effort, but he doesn't command you to be successful. I've never read one time in the Bible where God said, If you try and fail, I'll condemn you. It's not in there. No, God's word only commands, listen to me, faithfulness with what you've been given. Faithfulness with what you've been given. Be faithful, God says. And I will provide the increase. So, you don't lose talents by investing them. You lose talents by burying them. You lose talents by not using them. Because when you invest your talent, your time, your treasure, your money... Your abilities. Your gifts. When you invest those things in the kingdom of God. God will always. Somebody say always. He will always honor the investment. But I have to tell you. There are thousands of Christians. Across this globe. Who have matured in their Christian faith. But then for one reason or another. They become a little self-satisfied Maybe a little lazy. Maybe a little complacent. They decided, you know, there's really no need for me to grow in my faith. There's really no significant reason why I should spend time in prayer with my master. There's no reason why I should study his instructions for life. And so as a result... They begin to die spiritually. To die spiritually on the vine as it were. Why? Because they buried their talents. They didn't use what God had given them. And this principle friend. I know, I know that it's 2,000 years old. Since Jesus spoke it. But this principle never changes. It's as valid and relevant today. As it was the day Jesus spoke it. All through the scriptures. Jesus is constantly challenging us. To invest and reinvest. Again and again. Into the kingdom of heaven. Constantly. He's always honoring our investment. But friend he don't ever honor those who are afraid and bury their talent. Who receive from God and then not use what God has given for his glory. So the principle's clear, y'all. I didn't say it. The son of God spoke it. And he said, work while it's day. Nighttime is coming. Work while it's day. Because at night you won't be able to work. In other words, listen to me, y'all. Life is short. You've only got so much time to use what God has given you. Life is short. You've only got a very short period of time to be an influence on your children. You've only got a very short period of time to be an influence on your family, on your workplace, on your church family. Life is short. So the message of this parable is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus spoke it. What's the message? Christians, roll up your sleeves. Right? Roll up your sleeves. Get busy. Keep serving God. Keep doing all you can do for the kingdom of heaven. And don't you stop. Now some people say, but Bill, Jesus is coming soon. And I say, yeah, he might be. You know, we always say Jesus is coming soon when we look at how perverse and corrupt our generation is. How horrible the world is, right? But did you know there's at least, at least a million faithful Christians all over this planet? Right? That's a lot of people. If just that million would be about the kingdom work of God, we can make a difference. Do you remember what God said to Abraham? He said, if you go into Sodom and Gomorrah and you find ten, Ten righteous people, I'll spare them. Spare the whole, whole city. Still a million of us. and I know we're the minority, right? But there's still a million of us at least. What am I saying? I'm saying we got work to do, y'all. Our children are depending upon us. Your brothers and your sisters are depending on you. You're the one sitting here listening to the word of God preached. You're the one worshiping God Almighty and singing His praises. Right? So God is depending upon His servants. God is still the master. He is the master. He is still the giver of every good thing you got. Without his generosity, man, we wouldn't have nothing, would we? Nothing. So where do our talents come from? Where does our time come from? Where does our treasures and our abilities and our gifts come from? They come from God. Right? And all of your time, all of your treasures, all of your ability, all of your gift belong to him. They're on loan to you to use for his glory. I think sometimes we lose sight of that. We lose sight of why we have what we have. We lose sight of why we're gifted in a particular way. We lose sight of why God has been so good to us. Well, it's not all about us, is it? As maturing Christians and a congregation of believers, I think we're standing kind of at a crossroads in our history. What are we going to do with the blessings that the Master has showered on us? What are we going to do? Bury them in the ground? Not use them? Use them for ourselves, which is the same as burying them in the ground. The time to invest our time, treasures, and talents into the kingdom of God is right now. Don't leave this place without a conviction in your spirit that now is the time to invest what God has given you. For his glory and for his kingdom. I mean, after all, we're just ordinary people, right? We're just this little old church all stuck up in the northeast corner of the cornfields in Lauderdale County. What can we do? Are we inferior? Are we afraid? Are we going to run out in our backyard and bury what God has given us? If we do, we know what the result will be. Unending regret. If your children don't come to Christ. If cousin Eddie. Y'all know who I'm talking about right? If cousin Eddie don't come to Christ. Right? Whose fault is that going to be? Or. Have we resolved that we're going to stand up. And realize that God still honors those. Who have a mustard seed of faith. To invest in his kingdom. And for his glory. Receive the unending joy. And contentment. That God offers faithful servants. So maybe. You have leveled off. In your Christian life. I got news for you. We've all been there. So don't feel shot at. Maybe. You just become idle. You put it, you put your Christian car in neutral, and you're just on un- idle. You're just coasting. Maybe you've slammed that Joker in reverse, and you're going backwards in your walk with Jesus. I don't know that, but you know that. Maybe the Word of God has lost its power in your life. Just maybe your prayer life has been surely, slowly, just dwindling away. Maybe you've just stopped giving sacrificially like you once did. Maybe you just haven't been sharing your faith like you've been really wanting to maybe you've been burying your talent. I want to urge you today to evaluate where you stand. I've had to all week as I prepare to share this with you to evaluate where I stand and consider reconsider investing and reinvesting into the kingdom of heaven reinvesting and investing what God has given me so that other people might come to Jesus before my life is done. We don't have much time. Even if Jesus doesn't return, we don't have much time. And what's so awesome, friends, is these biblical principles, they are timeless. Everything that I've shared with you today. Never changes. 2,000 years old. These biblical principles are. And they've always remained the same. Listen to me. God waits to see. What you will do. With what he's given you. And it all begins. When God offers you the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. He offers the gift and says, will you receive the gift? Can you find yourself trusting in what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross? What will you do with the salvation I offer? Friend, don't leave here today without evaluating where you stand. And Christian, if it's high time for you to start reinvesting your talents, why not make today the day where you recommit your life to Christ? Say, Bill, that person you was talking about, it's me. Well, guess what? It's been me too. Where do you stand? Are you investing? Are you actively investing now? If so, fantastic. Is it high time for you to start reinvesting your talents, your time, your treasures, your abilities, your gifts? Today's your day. Recommit your talents to God's use. Let me pray for you.